Wizards have won three out of four, which means they're two and a half games away from the eighth seed, and it means that they are farther away from top five lottery positioning. I'll put on my somber voice for those of you who like the tank, and most of you do like the tank. I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm the host of Wizards After Dark. The Wizards beat... The Dallas Mavericks tonight, I had to look at my sheet because I've already forgotten the game. 132-123. Bradley Beal just did Bradley Beal stuff. He had 37 boards, 8 assists. Sadoransky came two rebounds away from a triple-double. Jabari Parker was 10 of 11 from the field. Uh, Luka Doncic, 31-11-7. I am standing in a hallway in Capital One Arena right now, just talking into my phone and standing next to Tim Cato who covers the Mavs for The Athletic. I'm here. I'm here. When are you going to tell your stat? My stat? Oh, yeah. Here's a stat. Okay, we're walking out of the hallway right now. This is just live podcast moving. We found a room. We found we found a room. We got the room. We, got we, we had found the room already, but there was a... Uh, it appeared to be occupied. Yeah, pseudo-occupied. We saw, we saw uh, oatmeal, bowls of oatmeal that had varying two degrees of temperature. <laughs> Oh, horrible joke. <laughs> so, uh, my stat. Oh, it's just crazy the difference between the East and the West. The Lakers just lost 12 out of 18 and have gone from in the playoffs to not just out of the playoffs, but like no hope at all of getting back into it. The Wizards, over pretty much the same stretch of time, have lost 11 of 18. And they've gone from two out of the eight seed to two and a half out of the eight seed. It's it's just amazing, man. Like it, it's incredible. They they are in it. They have the third or fourth easiest schedule strength remaining strength of schedule in the league. Like I know this doesn't hype up a lot of Wizards fans who want them to tank and want them to get a high draft pick, and that's a totally fine mentality to take if you're a fan. But like this, this is. A, a realistic thing that could happen. I mean, this is this is why Trevor Reza came to this team <laughs> to make a playoff run. So I, I don't know why else he would have ch- chosen Washington. So hey, but, hey, when Phoenix traded him to Washington, thing was that the Lakers wanted him, right? Right. And it was like, well, he could be making a playoff run with the Lakers. The Wizards are significantly closer to the playoffs right now than the Lakers. I would say that of the two teams, he made the right choice, and that is saying something. <laughs> that the right choice could ever be the, the Wizards is, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't think we'd get here. The East is just, man, the East is unreal, but the Wizards have won three out of four now. Uh, offensively, they were very good tonight. Defensively, Dallas did whatever the hell they want. The Wizards really didn't impede them at all. Doncic was getting into the paint and making passes or finishing with his floater or he hitting just, whatever he put he up. He seven assists and probably 20 assist chances. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he was so many kickouts for threes, like so many. Dallas took 41 threes, and so many of them and were just spot up. Exactly. So many of them were just spot up, good looks. He was doing whatever he wanted. Defensively, they just weren't good. And defensively, look, like, we've got our sample now. They're a bottom five defensive team in defensive efficiency. They're going to be a bottom five team in defensive efficiency at the end of the year. But if you look at the numbers since John Wall went down on the offensive end, since December 27th, December 28th, whatever that date is when Wall played his last game, 
That's a legitimate sample size. We're two and a half months away from that now. Since that date, they're second in the league in passes per game. Passes per game does not correlate to good or bad offense, but it does to style. They're second in the league in assist percentage, second in the league in assist per game. All to the Warriors, by the way. Like, they are moving the ball. They're, I think, top half of the league in offensive efficiency, like barely top half of the league. They're like 14th or 13th or something like that last time I checked. Like, they're competent offensively. They just aren't, aren't good defensively. But they're they're doing okay offensively. And tonight again, like, they're 54 from the field. They go 12 for 33 from three. They get to the line 25 times. Jabari Parker is getting to the rim, not just on penetration, but off of cuts. And then he's finishing around there. Bradley Beal is just – I think it's just that Bradley – if you have Bradley Beal, he's good enough at this point to where, like, you're going to have an okay floor on your offense. Yeah, that, I mean that, that's what I saw more or less. You know, I, I think that the execution is there. Like you can you can only you can only do you know you can only make the right motions, and sometimes your players just aren't good enough to perform that. But if you're doing the right things, then I mean, it's hard it's hard to get too mad or upset or anything like that. And it feels like the Wizards are a team that are that are doing the right things. It doesn't mean that they have players good enough to you know do anything more than maybe sneak into the playoffs ridiculously because their conference is bad but you know it feels feels like I look at their box score and the, the numbers the numbers are look like they're lined up in the right places it feels like you know the the offense is, is moving in the in, in the correct ways for, for mostly what I saw and you know, I, I don't think Dallas put up you know exactly a, uh, a stellar defensive performance back at them but you know that's what you have to do you have to take a team that is that is a mediocre at best uh, defensive team and and go drop 132 points on them. Like that is that is how the NBA works in 2019. I hate it, man. I hate it. I I sound like I sound like a curmudgeon. Like I sound like such an old dude, but like god, it was 99-96 at the end of the third quarter. And I was just like I hate this. Like I'm not I'm fine with the game evolving however it's going to evolve. All sports are going to do that. And I'm fine with that. But I, it just genuinely bothers me that the NBA has implemented rules now to make it evolve even quicker in that offensive direction. And I just don't enjoy – I sound so old. I just don't enjoy these games as much. I'm not saying go back to the 90s where the 90s was better. I'm just saying go back to like 2016. <laughs> like I'm, the 90s weren't better. Yeah. I was looking through uh, box scores from like some of those Knicks Heat playoff series in the late 90s when they had that great rivalry people nostalgically remember those games as like so awesome they're such classics and it's like every game i think it was their first round series from 99 which was the lockout year which the knicks won in five when alan houston hit that game winner in game five every game was either in the 60s or 70s i don't i think the highest scoring game so five games two teams score a game right so 10 scores there was not a score higher than in the 70s in any game. Maybe there was one that was like 81. That sucks, too. That's yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's too far the other direction. Oh, God, that sucks. Yeah. But all I'm saying is, like, this is too much. I mean, the, the greatest game that, that either of us can probably think of in the past 10 years is Game 7 of the 2016 Finals, which was, I think, either team hit 90? Am I right? It was, it was 89, 80? I don't remember or, the score of that game. It was, it, it, neither team hit 100, but I believe... And maybe it did get in the 90s. I think it was in the 80s. I think it was, I want to say it was 86-84 or 88-86. I can look it up. 
We can look it up. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say, though, is that uh, it's going to shift back. I, I think that offense adjusts quicker. I think offense adjusted uh, stylistically to, to embrace the three-pointer, and I think it, it, it adap- adapted skill-wise. And, and, you know, you just had college players focusing on three-pointers and shooting and on all these things. And so I think the offense has shifted to a, a certain way where the defense needs to shift athletically and body type. But I think we see in every draft, we see two, two or three more big men who are touted as switch-everything big men. And, and, you know, defensive players who can, you know, play in the modern NBA. It's going to take 10 years I think for that to happen, but I do think that these players who can defend in this era, who can defend in this, you know, space and, and uh, you know, all spacing, all threes, all this stuff, I think that's doable. I, I think that will happen. I think it's just going to take longer to catch up. I think it may be 10 years. Yeah. God, I don't care what the rules are. It's going to be hard to slow down Doncic. 31 points, 11 boards, 7 assists. Dude's 19 years old. He just averaged like 25, 9, and 7 for the month of February. He is 93-89 was the okay. score of that game. Yeah, Game 7, 2016 NBA Finals. Um, slowing down, Doncic. I was talking about yeah. him with Jason Randall after the game, which might sound random, but Jason Randall was his teammate in Spain. Really? I didn't know. I had no clue. Mm-hmm. He was his teammate in Spain, and so I, I've actually talked about it a number of times with Chase because he just talks about how advanced he was at such a young age. And uh, he thinks he's going to be an MVP candidate every year. Like, he, he insists that he's that good. I can't disagree with him. I mean, he is he is something. He's so hard to guard. They had a few guys guarding him. They had Beal on him. They had Troy Brown on him in moments. And it's just like, I think we talk about athleticism all wrong. And somebody wrote about this. I can't remember who earlier this year. I mean, I did was it your story? Uh, I wrote about him more recently. You're probably thinking of something else. But but I did write about his athleticism and how uh, we view it. The, the, number, the, the two most common indicators of athleticism for the average sports fan, I think across most sports, is how high you jump and how quickly you run. Whereas how quickly you jump, how quickly you stop... The, the speed, you can do all these things. Um, it's like, you know, you're playing any sports games. There's speed and there's acceleration. And acceleration is equally, and for basketball, where you only have 90 feet, 94 feet that you can run, I'd say acceleration is, is even more hype. Like, reaching your top speed, reaching your highest jump matters to an extent, but it, but it doesn't matter uh, in, func- often it doesn't matter in functional game scenarios um, it's why uh, I, I spoke to P3 when I when I wrote it this Doncic thing. It was it was nominally about his step back three pointer, but it really dived into the athleticism around what makes him get that step back three pointer, what allows him to shoot that uh, always so unbalanced and things like that. So I talked to the guys at P3, which is a uh, sports sports science training facility in, in Santa Barbara. Uh, that a lot of I think the NBA has partnered with them. A lot of a lot of players go there in the off season. And the um, and, and basically, like one of the things they do is they measure how quickly a player jumps to ten feet six inches because that's the average rebounding height. Um, so it doesn't really matter if you can jump higher than that because on on a normal basis, that's how that's where you're going to need to get to quicker than the other player to get a rebound. And so that's the type of athleticism. But those are the things that Luca excels at. He, he's not going to perform amazing at an NBA combine. But the NBA combine, in some ways, doesn't measure the right things or, or it kind of takes a broader view of or a, a more a, um, 
a more or more a uh, record setting. It's like you know, look at this guy. He he set a record in doing this or that. Whereas there are other forms of athleticism that that aren't testable or aren't as visible to the average sports fan. It's you know, it's jumping high is very visible. So like I understand why that's you know associated with athleticism as strongly as it is, and and, and so is running fast. But you know, I think he has constantly shown that that his deceleration, his ability to stop, um, get players on off balance. He, that he can play, that he can stay on balance. All of these things uh, build into the player that he is, and, and why he does the things that he does. And coordination, man. Yeah. He is so coordinated. Yeah. Like unbelievably coordinated. I had a conversation last year with Stephen Adams. I did a story last year on Stephen Adams, center for the Thunder, being really good at jump balls. And I had a conversation with him during that story, which I didn't write in this. Because I always thought it was another story, but maybe I should maybe I should just write the story at some point. Uh, this is what this podcast is. It's just a workshop for me for whether I should write <laughs> stories and how I should write them. Uh, he basically thinks that the NBA and basketball in general does jump balls all wrong, and he doesn't think that centers are better at jump balls. So he believes, and he has articulated it to me. He says it has nothing to do with height. It's only about how quickly you jump. So instead of putting your tallest person, you should put your quickest jumper. And it shouldn't really matter the position. Now, if you have like Muggsy Bogues out there, that probably makes a difference. But if your small forward is your quickest jumper, and your small forward is three inches shorter than your center, I bet you Steven Adams, if he were a coach, would have his small forward doing jump balls. Because um, we both love these niche story ideas, I've also batted that idea around once, yeah. once upon a time. I decided there wasn't really anything to it, but the coordination aspect makes a lot of sense to me. I've always wondered. It was it, when it came to me. Uh, I, I think that story. I was watching Zaza Pachulia jump for the Warriors. When I think we can all agree, Kevin Durant, in theory, should have a better time getting a jump ball than Zaza yeah. Pachulia. Yeah, a hundred percent. Doesn't matter that he's technically plays three. Yeah, like, he has a better chance. He makes more sense as to someone who can go get to that height quicker than Zaza. Yep, a hundred percent. And the answer is it doesn't matter. It doesn't like there is maybe three jump balls, two two or three jump balls that you can control who jumps it. It's, it's when the ball gets wedged. Is there any other scenario where you can pick who does the jump ball? Well, start again. Right, but does that matter? Because yeah. that that doesn't determine a possession. No, it doesn't. The matter. only one that determines a possession is the jump ball off a wedged basketball, or when they can't decide. I believe. Is that fair? Yes, I think you're right. And oh, that, uh, no. Oh. When uh, referees, when there is discrepancy, one ref calling another, yeah, sorry, and another I, I, one calling another, and they, they have to jump it up. Yeah, to when they can't the decide, when the, I, I didn't complete yeah. the thought. When the referees can't yes. decide what happened, correct. But that, So I would say there's probably three or four jump balls a year yeah. that determine <laughs> a one single possession in one game uh, for each team. I say, I say three or four a year for, for each team. The fact, the more you convince me that this doesn't matter, <laughs> the more you make me want to do the story. <laughs> That's how this works. That's fair. Uh, let's talk about Jabari Parker for a second. Let's talk about Jabari. Jabari, since he came to the Wizards, so with the Bulls, something like 33% of his shots, like a third of his shots were around the rim in Chicago. With the Wizards, it's only been 10 games. This could change. It could depend on opponents and all that stuff. Or he could do this forever. Or he could do this forever. But like 50% of his attempts have been at the rim. 
that's a ginormous difference. And his numbers are actually pretty on par in terms of his shot distribution. They're pretty on par with what his numbers were when he averaged 20 a game with uh, Milwaukee a couple of years ago. Uh, he looks explosive around the rim. He has tons of flaws. But Scott Brooks has been adamant. Like, cause Scott Brooks called him Barkley-ish after the game today. Scott Brooks has been adamant that he wants him diving into the rim when he's off the ball. He wants him penetrating to the rim when he has the ball every time. Now, sometimes that's coach speak for, I don't want you actually shooting the ball. But he was 10 for 11 tonight. And it was because he kept getting to the rim and he kept finishing around the rim. And he's a strong finisher when he gets there. Right. And he's a coordinated finisher when he gets there. It's an interesting trend. He He's had games where he just totally goes absent, and there's no chance the Wizards pick up that team option. But uh, it is an interesting offensive trend because offensively he's been pretty okay with the Wizards, and uh, he's had games like this where, like, look, when Jabari Parker goes for 20 points on 10 for 11 shooting, he has seven boards, or nine boards, he passes the ball well like he did tonight. He had some nice dimes tonight. Like, he can. there are things he can do to help. Now, if you fall too in love with Jabari Parker, then you got a problem. But there are things he can do to help. I think sometimes people talk about him like he's not even an NBA player because of his, you know, his defense, his comments about how you don't get paid for defense and all that, and that's le- that's legit criticism. But nights like tonight, he can help. And I think uh, if he's going to maximize the amount that he helps the Wizards, the way that he does it is by being around the rim all the time and taking half his shots at the rim, being able to either create for others from there or finish there. And they seem to be doing a pretty good job of getting him to do that. Is that fair? Yeah, he's one of those players that you just have to... He's not Barkley-ish, by the way. (laughs) Just by the way. That might have been a little overboard by Scott. Let's let's throw him inside the the NBA TNT studio. Yeah, well, you know, props props for Scott for believing in his dude. But uh, I respectfully disagree that he is uh, the best. He reminds me of the best undersized power forward in the history of the NBA. Yeah, no, he's one of those players who clearly is is so talented in certain areas that are just less and less valuable. And and, and if you can channel his skills into the right role, into you know a, a skill set that that um, complements you know the team offense and and everything around him, I, I think that you could find a usable role for him on a playoff team. I, I don't think that any top four contender in either league is, is going to have much use for a Jabari Parker, but I think a team like Washington um, can. I, I think, I think you know, they, they don't have better options than to, you know, when, when Jabari is doing things, you know, when he is going to the rim every time and, and getting there and being successful, um, give him 28 minutes. And as long as you have the flexibility to also give him 12 minutes when he's not, when he's not effective, when it's not a matchup that makes sense, you know, I, I I fully see how a how a player like this can can be useful. You know, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of his game, but, but for for many of the reasons that everybody else has not been a fan of his game. You know, they, he's you know he's been inefficient and, and ball stopping and, and doesn't play defense and, and this and that. But you know, I'm you know I, I don't know how you can look at a game like tonight and just say yeah no he doesn't belong in the BA. It's it's just a Unless, unless you just are determined that or convinced that there, there's never a consistent role that can exist for him where he can 
do this from time to time because it doesn't have to, you know, players, tons of players exist in the NBA for years just having games like this here and there. Like, right. you don't have to do, 20, you know, you don't have to average 20 points right. to, well, what, to be in the NBA. What you need, I think you hit it. You hit the nail on the head. And that what you need to be able to do with Jabari Parker is you need him to be okay with inconsistent minutes. Yeah. And you need a coach who is skillful in identifying when it's his night and when it's not early in the game. Yeah. He goes in for a stint because Jabari, it's like if he's playing well early, he's going to play well. And if he's not playing well, he doesn't often pick it up. And that's okay. Uh, but like... You need, it's like, okay, it's Jabari's night. He's attacking the rim. He's finishing. He's doing all of it. Cool. Play him 25 minutes. He might he might help. He might go for 20, and he might do it efficiently, and he might create for others and all those things. And it's a night where he's being standoffish, and he's missing, and he just kind of looks lackadaisical, and his defense is just hurting. His defense isn't really going to help you, but it's hurting you too much in this particular occasion. Maybe the matchup is bad for you because they're just constantly putting him in pick and roll and it's hurting or whatever it is. Like, And on those nights, you have to be okay giving him nine. If, if it's a night where Dirk plays 12 minutes and the Mavs' best defensive big man is out, Maxi Kleba, then, yeah, that's the type Kleba's of night. underrated, by the way. Very underrated. He is a very good rim protector. And, like, not just shot blocker. Like, a if, legit rim protector. If we do, if we go by block percentage, he is eighth in the He doesn't quite qualify for minutes, but he's eighth in the league by block percentage. And he's very close to qualifying for minutes. Um, I think it's about 5%. And and the weirdest thing about it, or not, he's not restricted? weird. He's restricted. Yeah. yeah. He might um, get paid. He could be. Um, he's regressed a little bit since the trades. And when they started giving him big minutes, um, and I think that's going to help the Mavs making sure they retain him. But he is restricted. Uh, they have his early bird rights, so there's some weird cap stuff about what they can pay him. It might not, actually, it might be best for him to get the most possible money if somebody else offers him an offer sheet that the Mavericks can match because they are limited in how much money they can offer him because of the early bird rights. They, it's Really weird, complicated. Hundred twenty percent of what he's making now. No, uh, right? They can off. No. Yes. Yes. That is. That is one of it. There's another one, which is, I believe, one hundred and five percent of the average NBA uh, salary. Right. Which is the Spencer. Which is the uh, arenas provision. The, the yes, exactly that. The arenas provision yeah. and so the arenas. It's the exact provision. same deal. Wizards fans are familiar but with it because it's okay. the same deal. There you go. There you go. But so I don't. Not believe, just go with so the weird thing is, yeah, yeah, I don't think. Can the Mavericks stack it on their own with the Uranus provision? Can they stack it from year two to year three? We're getting very dirty. But so no. the Uranus is the one that you stack in year three and four, correct? Uh huh. That's what, like, yeah. I want to say the Mavericks can only match that. Correct. They can't do it on their own. So if they, if, if, if no, they can they can give him that contract. They, they can just give him that. Co- okay, then then I yeah, because that's like what uh, Toronto did with Norman Powell. Okay, okay. Norman Powell got that extension. Regrettably, so now, but but yes, yeah. uh, okay. someone so else did. Uh, uh, Miami did that with Josh Richardson too. Okay, right? Wasn't Josh Richardson? Yeah, because he was second round pick. Norman Powell was second round pick after yeah. two years. Yeah, so they both got that. So you can do it, but it doesn't stack. It averages out. Although Josh Richardson was offered, and then they matched. No, that's Tyler Johnson. Oh, yeah. There's too many guards, and we are. I, mean, I guess I guess Tyler Johnson has gone to uh, Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, we have gotten real inside basketball. <laughs> I, I don't even. Think what were you even talking about talking before about. this? Maxi Kleba. Yeah, very good. He's he's switchable. He's, he's switchable one through five. He's good. He's really legit. a shot blocker, and his three pointer comes and goes. But but if you want a athletic, 
and able to yeah. He can switch on defense. He can block shots. He can shoot the three. He can roll to the rim and dunk. Those are the four things you want in a modern NBA center. It doesn't matter that he, you know, doesn't have much else to his game. Like those are the four things you need. Perfectly versatile. Perfectly, um, you know, just will fit next to any player. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, plug. So Tim, Tim and I have very similar taste in journalism. So uh, obnoxiously so. If you hate my stuff, you'll probably hate his as well. So plug, plug your stuff. It's just that mine's better. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, I I am I am uh, the Dallas version of Fred Katz. So uh, you can find me on the Athletic in the same places that you can uh, find his work. Just uh, do Mavericks instead of Wizards. Um, Underscore Tim. Yikes, messing up my own uh, Twitter username. It is Tim underscore Cato, if you want to follow me on Twitter. After this conversation, I'm positive you do not. <laughs> there is nothing I've done to convince you to come follow me. But uh, but hey, if you're out there, if, if, if this one person who just thought my uh, my Goldilocks joke to, to begin this episode <laughs> was hilarious, hey, come find me. Um, and I wrote a story about uh, whether NBA players watch their own highlights. Uh, that was the most recent Fred Katzian story that I've written. And that was a great story. And oh, you've actually read it now. I did. It was oh, great. And you, uh, you missed. You missed. I thought of you during the scrum, Bradley Beal scrum after the game. Did you see it? No, I didn't. Bradley Beal after the game said uh, he immediately went and watched his uh, highlight of his dunk from tonight on uh, Salah Mejri. And I, I immediately thought of you. I did ask all about that. that, and he claims that he has blocked. Bradley probably 16 times in his career. Not sure about the exact number there. In fact, seems a bit exaggerated, that but according to Salah, he has a 16-1 lead. Okay. And they are playing to the end of their careers. Whoever's that, career was, that was also the 49th dunk of Bradley Beal's season, which gives him a career high in dunks. Heck of a way to get to, wow. 40, to a career high in dunks. Uh, you learn something new every day. Yes, you do, and you learn something new almost every time, hopefully every time, you listen to Wizards After Dark, which you can subscribe to on iTunes. You can give us five stars because you're learning so much new stuff, and you can leave a review telling everybody on iTunes and in the iTunes store how much new stuff that you learned. Uh, I'll be back on Friday. I'm actually not going on this road trip, so I will be back. They're doing a Friday, Saturday back-to-back. They're in Charlotte, then they're in Minnesota. I'm not going to either game. Uh, How can you skip those wonderful cities and states? I know, and major, major moments for me. But I'm uh, I'm not going to that. I'm going to every road game for the rest of the year after those two. I'll be back Friday night, though, podcasting from the comfort of my own home. And uh, I'll talk to you guys.